Hello, and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behavior in a practical, fun, and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting, or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they applied their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple, science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish, and fulfil your potential. Hello and welcome. We have just passed a milestone here at the Potential Psychology Podcast, our third birthday. Our very first episode of the show went live on the 16th of March 2018 and it feels like a lifetime ago. And as I reflect, I realise that starting the podcast was a little like starting Potential Psychology itself almost 19 years ago. On both occasions, I had no plan, no strategy, no business case. In fact, on paper, neither enterprise stacked up as a good idea, but both ideas, once I'd arrived at them, just wouldn't let go. And on both occasions, my thinking was, I'll just have a crack at this and see what happens. And three years later and 19 years later for Potential Psychology, the business, we're still trucking along and I'm still having fun. And if I'm really honest, it's still the case that neither the business nor the podcast makes a lot of sense if we measure these things by traditional metrics of success, things like income and audience reach and business growth, etc. This is still a little indie podcast with a small but wonderfully smart and loyal audience. And Potential Psychology, the business, continues to serve a client base of really forward-thinking organisations keen to support their people to thrive and individuals who value investing in themselves and their personal and professional growth. But for the most part, the business hasn't changed much over time. I've changed I've learned an incredible amount. I've developed my skills and knowledge and confidence, and I've been able to, over time, let go mostly of those traditional metrics of success. I've stopped mostly feeling the need to justify what I do and how I do it, and instead value the fact that it's fun and challenging, and I learn something new every day, and I get to talk to wonderfully smart and engaged and interesting people, and I get to witness the growth of my coaching clients. And I guess all in all, for me at least, these are far better metrics by which to measure success. So as I reflect on my three things for this episode, that is what I've learned as we celebrate the podcast's third birthday, that there are many ways to measure and mark success. And what's important is doing so by your own metrics, what's really important to you. So that's the first of my three things. If you remember, we're talking, we are talking about three things, or I am talking about three things, and you are sharing these with me and sharing your own three things, which is just delightful, something we have either read or perhaps listened to, something we have learned, and something we are doing to fulfil our potential. So I've talked about what I've learned. What am I reading 
Right. Now, well, I'm actually reading an incredible book called Educated by Tara Westover. And it's not, in fact, what I'm going to talk about today, but I did see it described by someone recently as difficult to read, impossible to put down. And that is exactly how I feel about it. It's a very unsettling story, but completely compelling. And it is a memoir. So it is a true story. So if you're interested in a difficult to read but impossible to put down, very thought-provoking book, check out Educated by Tara Westover. But what I do want to talk about is actually what I'm listening to right now. And I'm combining that with the thing I'm doing to fulfill my potential. So this is thing two and thing three of my three things for this episode. And what I've been listening to is Adam Grant's podcast, Work Life. And recently, while he was taking a break from his regular programming, he added a few longer form interviews under the banner of Taken for Granted. And this particular episode was a conversation with Brené Brown, who will need no introduction to this audience. And Grand and Brown were talking about something that really struck me. It was the notion of performance as a form of armour against vulnerability. So if you've read any of Brene Brown's work on leadership, she talks about armoured leadership versus vulnerable leadership. And armoured leadership is the walls we put up to protect ourselves emotionally, psychologically. And this doesn't just apply to a leadership. It does, of course, apply to just being human. And in this conversation, she mentioned that performance or always striving for achievement can be a form of armour, a mindset that says, as long as I'm always on top of my game, proving what I can do, achieving the next thing and the next and the next, then I'm okay. I'm acceptable to myself and to others. And that was one of those, oh, that's me moments as I was listening in. And of course, the problem with that form of striving, that tendency to rely on the need to always be performing or achieving an outcome as a way of protecting ourselves from vulnerability is that it can tip over into burnout pretty easily because it's just not driven by a healthy mindset. So after reflecting on this for a while, I actually did a bit more digging and I discovered another interview with Brené Brown on the Tim Ferriss show. And in it, Ferriss, who says that he's also in a bit of an achievement junkie, has reframed the problem for himself to ask, how can I make room for both striving and self-acceptance? And that felt kind of meaningful to me. It's not that you have to let go of your striving or achievement orientation because that obviously works in many ways and up to a point. But how do you make space for greater self-acceptance and self-compassion too? And that's been something I've been working on for the past few months as I've taken on more responsibility and stepped further outside of my comfort zone. It's not easy at all and it takes a lot of ongoing work. But having the simple reframe of not one or the other, but both, so not striving or self-compassion but finding the space for both striving and self-compassion really does help. So that felt like it went very deep, very quickly. That's probably something to do with my realisations about armour and performance and vulnerability and the need to be able to do both. But I think that's enough about me. Let me know what you are reading, 
learning and doing to fulfill your potential, either on the socials via message or email or perhaps in a podcast review. I'd really love to know. Do you have any recommendations for us for reading, listening or learning? Or maybe there's something that you have reframed recently that's helped you to take a further step towards being your best self. But it's time to talk about our guest. And while we're exploring new things and new concepts and new ways of growing, this guest and her wonderful participation in the show came about because I was intrigued by her field of expertise, which is hypnosis. It's something that I knew very little about prior to this conversation, but was very curious about. So let's listen in and find out more. With me today, speaking to us from Washington State in the US, is Erica Flint. Erica is a certified hypnotist and accredited hypnosis teacher whose goal is to bring hypnosis into mainstream healing and thinking. Erica has been the recipient of many awards and accolades for her work in and contribution to the hypnotherapy profession. She's the author of several books and makes frequent appearances on TV and radio. Erica's here to answer all of our questions about hypnosis and hypnotherapy in every day life. Welcome, Erica. Ellen, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here and share more about what hypnosis really is. Yeah, look, I'm excited to ask all of, and I've just said off air, all of the, probably the basic questions from your point of view, but as somebody who's not been involved with hypnosis or hypnotherapy from either side, I have very little understanding of what it is, how it works, but I'm very aware that particularly now in the clinical space, it's becoming quite a commonly used tool to help people with goal attainment, performance and well-being attainment, achievement, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. So to get the obvious question out of the way, what is the difference between what we might call stage hypnotism and clinical hypnotism? Well, stage hypnotism, they really are most stage hypnotists, most I would say, I guess, legitimate stage hypnotists who are doing it professionally are really doing hypnosis. So they really are doing hypnosis up on the stage. What they're doing is they're asking usually for volunteers who are interested. So there's an entertainment quality. And most people who are willing or wanting to do that type of thing are the folks who you know, might be more dynamic and are, are wanting or maybe desiring the spotlight and are you know, first to raise their hand in any case, right? The difference, I would say, between that style of hypnosis and what we do in the office is we're actually helping people with things that they want to do, right? So on the stage, you might have the stage hypnotist having the folks do silly things like forgetting their name or acting out in a particular way. And, you know, we don't do any of that in the hypnosis office. In the hypnosis office, people are coming to us to lose weight, stop drinking, uh, achieve better results, sleep better, get rid of anxiety and all of those types of things. So I think the benefit of stage hypnosis is that the audience and the members, the folks up on stage, they really get to understand, oh my gosh, what is the power of the mind? If something can help me do this on stage, forget my name or do something exceptional that maybe I wouldn't normally do, what else can it do? How else can I unlock parts of my mind in order to truly serve me? Okay, so there's an entertainment factor in there, obviously, when it's being done on the stage versus a clinical situation. But from your perspective, it's still a very useful thing in terms, perhaps, I guess, of, of bringing the idea of hypnosis or the practice of hypnosis into that mainstream, opening people's minds to the idea that there is more to the mind. 
right? It makes people curious. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, of course, because then people wonder, oh, are you going to make me quack like a duck or bark like a dog? Like that's top of mind for most people. And some of them, you know, I think one of the biggest misperceptions about hypnosis is that it's mind control. And so folks often wonder if the hypnotist is controlling them. And, you know, there's often kind of this entertainment quality that goes along with wanting to wow and do like, let's blow their mind and let's have something exceptionally kind of magical. And wow, how did that happen. So it kind of plays into that, that hypnosis might be some level of mind control. So on the flip side of entertaining of stage hypnosis, we get a lot of questions. So this is one of the things that professional hypnotists is one of our primary jobs is to go out and talk with folks like you to really help people understand what is the nature of hypnosis and how does it actually work to serve and help people and help the community and help humanity. Okay, so seeing as we're here to do that and to answer my curious questions, how does it work, I guess, is the question. It's not mind control. There's something more to it. How does it work? Right. And I would say if any, if you wanted to call it mind control, it's really about the client. It's really about you. Whoever's doing hypnosis, getting control back over areas in your life that you feel out of control for. And that's one of the biggest responses that we get from our clients. It's, you know, I know what to do to lose weight, but I don't follow through. I know what to do to stop smoking, but I never follow through. So it really is about our clients getting control back. But hypnosis in general is a normal and natural state of mind. So we do it all the time. Uh, Anytime that you're doing something and time is just passing by, like you might be playing with your kids or grandkids, or you might be listening to music or watching a really good movie and time is just passing by, that's a light state of hypnosis. So what we want to do in the hypnosis office is we want to capitalize upon that. It's a state of mind where you're highly focused and receptive to positive suggestions. So in the state of mind, kind of all the walls come down. We call it depotentiating the left hemisphere is how I like to look at it. So we're really taking, you know, in our everyday life, we're using our prefrontal cortex and our left hemisphere really to like answer a lot of questions and really think critically and respond to people. And if that isn't solving our problem, that's primarily what a lot of people use to solve their problems. If that's not working, we want to depotentiate that part of the mind so that we could give access to the subconscious mind, the unconscious mind, different parts of us, which we can talk about in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, You'll want to know more about those, but now we're giving rise to other parts of us and giving that voice. And so now we're getting more information that's already there. That's how hypnosis works. How intriguing. And it's interesting. I was thinking while you were talking there about that nature of, you know, being engaged in another activity where we have that sense that time is both passing quickly, but standing still, you know, you're so engaged in an activity that you don't notice that maybe a couple of hours have passed because you Mm -hmm. were entirely absorbed, which, you know, we would call from a psychological point of view, engagement or a flow state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is that part of that, that kind of flow state where you're able to, yeah, you just, you stop thinking. It's, It's like a lack of conscious awareness really, isn't it? Of what you're doing. You stop. We all have that little voice in our head that is constantly analyzing Mm -hmm. and assessing and talking to us about what we're getting right and what we're getting wrong and what we should be doing. So is this state about calming that piece of the mind down a little so that we're open to other 
ideas. Okay. okay. Yes. And thank you for putting it that way. It is. That is the conscious mind, that voice in your head, you know, negativity bias, constantly judging us, constantly narrating what's going on in our life. When we quiet that part of the mind, it's just not the talking feedback that we quiet. We can also quiet our nervous system. And now we can get information from deeper parts of us, feelings and things that we know, right? But we aren't necessarily conscious of. We might act them out. We might be nervous about something and, and act out of anxiety, but not really, we're not really sure where it came from. Hypnosis allows us, it quiets all those parts so that we can get access to where is this, where is this fear coming from, for example? Yeah. So we're just a bit more open to noticing, I guess. Right. And the thing is, is there's a lot of talk about how much our behavior is driven by subconscious, right? And, you know, the latest that I read was something like 95%. I'm not quite sure how they determine that number, but I do think that it's a large number. And so if if you're not able to do something that you think you should be able to do, hypnosis is a really good tool to kind of bring those walls down and get to the core issue and quiet that part of the mind that is constantly analyzing and giving you answers. So how then does it differ or does it differ, say, from the practice of mindfulness meditation, which, you know, the goal of which is mm-hmm. the quiet in the mind? Right. Is there a difference or are they kind of different variations on the same thing? Yeah, there's an overlap for sure. There's definitely a state of mind in hypnosis where we are depotentiating that left hemisphere, we're quieting the mind, and that overlaps with meditation quite a bit. The primary difference with hypnosis is with hypnosis, we have what's called the hypnotic suggestion, which I like to consider an intention. And so we have a very specific intention, whereas with meditation, the intention perhaps is to quiet the mind or to listen to God. Some people think that meditation is when you listen, right? And prayer is when we speak, right? So there's a lot of different variations or thoughts on what meditation is. But hypnosis, there really is a hypnotic suggestion. What is the intention? And with the intention, there's a lot that goes into that. What's driving certain behaviors? What's behind that? All of these things that we are considering. So while in a state of hypnosis, now we're delivering information to that deep part of the mind of what the intention is. So it's similar, but there's a goal around the hypnosis process. Right, where they're actually realizing the results within that day. So they're noticing that their thinking has changed. They're noticing that the anxiety that had been driving behavior or the fear about another person or an event or an experience, like they know they were afraid of it an hour ago, but they just don't feel it anymore. And so it's very empowering for people because we can get rid of kind of like that anxious, nervous energy that really there is meaning that gets applied to that energy. Like, I'm going to look foolish. I'm not good enough. I, you know, nobody loves me. Da, da, da. All of those meanings that get applied to these scary feelings, that's what we shift in hypnosis. We shift the meaning that gets applied to these situations. And then it subsequently shifts how we feel inside. So we can know that we felt scared of it before. We just, we don't feel it anymore. So there's a huge empowering element to hypnosis. Yeah. And I'm wondering then, you know, again, I suppose my, or not that I have a background in clinical or, or counseling psychology, but my knowledge of just the role of the therapist in these relationships. So again, if I'm comparing and contrasting it mentally right now to a meditation, usually with a meditation, there isn't that goal orientation and there isn't somebody else involved. But in this case, you've mm-hmm. got the hypnotist, the hypnotherapist who's involved. So does that relationship play a part in this as well? 
Well, there's always uh, the importance of a relationship in any type of therapy. I mean, that's been proven over and over and over again, that it's the relationship between the therapist and the client that really matters the most. So Mm. that is very important. And a lot of our clients are telling us things, as you would anticipate, telling us things that they've never told people before in their life. It's the scariest, ugliest, hardest, most embarrassing, most shameful things that they don't ever, ever, ever want to share with somebody. And a lot of times by the time our clients come to us, they don't go to the hypnotist first right? We're not there yet in the hypnosis profession. Most people have tried everything else. So by the time they're coming to us, they are desperate and they, they really want and need help. So the relationship is very important. But uh, what I want to mention as far as hypnosis goes is we believe that all of the answers are inside our clients. So the role of the hypnotist is to create a really safe container and provide the techniques to the nervous system and the mind so that the client can discover their own answers, basically. So that's one of the things that I love about hypnosis. We're not diagnosing, we're not curing, we're not looking for problems. You know, there's none of that, none of that there. We're really just let's help somebody with their consciousness and kind of connect the dots in a better way so that the client is feeling, and it's automatic too, because it's happening in subconscious, they're feeling more like themselves. Hmm. Which is has some lovely parallels actually with the work that I do with individuals, which is coaching psychology. So people come to me with a goal or a challenge mm-hmm. they're trying to face. And because it is coaching and not clinical psychology, we're not looking at it from a diagnosis or a problem-based point of view, it's very much about the client being an expert in their own life and just using, I mean, for us, it's a process of questioning really to help them unpick Mm -hmm. what are the goals, what are the blockages, what is it that I need to do because they are the experts in their own life and they do know the answers, they just get stuck. Right. And how cool is it that all you're doing is asking questions, right? Because on some level, that's what we're, we are directing our clients' attention. That's what we're doing. We're attention shifters. We're taking our clients' attention. We're directing it at this. We're asking questions, probing, you know, what unfolds from that. Then we use techniques and then we ask more questions. The cool thing is that in a hypnotic state, clients are more receptive to doing all of this work. So we, they don't, the walls aren't there, you know, people wanting to hold back that type of a thing. They're more open open to sharing. Now, clients really still can hold back. It's not a truth serum. They can, but they want to. They want to share and it's easier. Yeah, that does make sense. I was doing some reading in preparation for our interview and a couple of people said that that hypnotic state was a little like those moments just as you're waking up in the morning or just before you go to sleep at night. So thinking about that, I can kind of imagine what you're saying there, that if you're in that kind of hazy, it's like my conscious brain hasn't really clicked in Yet, yes. you know, and, and you might hear your children moving around the house or you might hear your phone ping or something, but it's almost like oh, I'm sort of, it's almost like I kind of don't care about those things that ordinarily worry me. Right, you don't, because that part of your brain is depotentiated. And that state of mind is called the hypnagogic state. And it's a really cool state of mind. So if you ever have a dream and you wake up and you're like, oh man, I can't remember the dream, what needs to happen is you need to go back into that hypnagogic state and you'll remember it again. And so what's really interesting is that you know, hypnosis, another way to describe it is focusing and filtering. So it's focusing our attention on something and filtering certain things out. So when you're in that hypnagogic state, your brain is already focusing on certain things and filtering out other things to the degree that it's not a primary concern of yours in that moment. So hypnosis is similar in that way. Yeah. So is self-hypnosis a thing? Is that something that's doable or does it really require the assistance of a professional? 
Well, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. And the reason I like to say that is nobody can force you into a state of hypnosis. There's no like covert, hidden, sneaky. There's, you know, nothing like that. So it really is, you know, hypnosis is you know, we're going to do it on purpose with our clients. And so self-hypnosis in general, yes, works really well, I think. And with the hypnagogic state, yes, you can. I know folks who one of their techniques is they have their phone right next to their bed and one quick press onto their recorder because they can't type, they can't text, they can't write. If they do any of that, they emerge out of the state. So the one state that has been successful for folks to remain in a hypnagogic state is you reach over, grab your phone, and just audibly record what's going on. And then when you listen to that again, it can remind you and you can go right back to sleep. That's what would bring you back into that state. And then you can wake up again. But in general, with self-hypnosis, the benefit of working with a professional it's like somebody who has a lot of experience. It's somebody there with you. They're going to be able to point out things to you that you might not see on your own. So you can paint your house yourself. There's YouTube videos. I could go to the store. I could do it all myself. Or I can hire someone to do it and probably get done faster. Both work. No, that does make perfect sense. So it is, again, about having that coach, that guide, that almost a partner, really, in a way, isn't it? If you've established that good therapeutic relationship where they've got Absolutely. somebody there to just help them along, nudge them along a little faster, who knows which questions to ask or perhaps which insights to offer. And recently I've, because, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but recently I've become aware of something really important in hypnosis. And it's the ability to stay in a state with a client when they're at their lowest. And so, for example, when clients are experiencing a really low, shameful, or like they're just, they're expressing or they're just feeling really bad, our ability to just stay there with them and almost be like, hey, I will sit in the dark depths with you. It's okay. We're going to survive. You're alive. I'm alive. It sucks. Um, but I'll be here with you. And so just sitting there and being willing to say, I will witness your whatever, I'll witness your BS or whatever this thing that happened to you, I'll be here with you. And just that alone, I can't tell you how many times clients, like even if there's not like some huge revolution or something that they hadn't realized, just sitting there with them through their depths of despair is so comforting for people. I don't know if they felt like they couldn't share that with another, like it was too shameful to even share. And therefore they don't ever feel complete because they're still hiding this part of them. But really having that other person just sitting there is so helpful. Okay. And then so we've got that therapeutic experience and then we're overlaying it with this ability to calm the nervous system, calm the mind and be open. Tell me a little bit more about this idea of being open to is it suggestion? Is that the right word? What's the terminology we should be using here? Yeah, the hypnotic suggestion is the term. And you're absolutely right. You know, most humans um, have been training for anxiety their whole life. We live in a mostly anxious society where it's all about uh, hustling and getting straight A's and kids, you know, they're going to school and then after school programs. And I mean, it's just so many things. It's just really, really stressful. So most of my clients, I tell them they've been training for anxiety their whole life. Their brain is designed for an anxious life. And so one of the first things we do is I just have them train for relaxation, which is a form of self-hypnosis. So I have them listen to a relaxation recording. It's about 20 minutes. I have them do that every single day. 20 minutes, it's like practice, right? If you want to learn to play an instrument, you uh, will practice. So if we give our brain the practice in relaxing every single day, it's going to get better at it. And clients are getting results in as little as three days from that. 
As far as the hypnotic suggestion goes, we will come up with something that makes sense for the client. So if they want to lose weight, the hypnotic suggestion might be, and I, I've authored a couple books on this, so I have a lot of experience helping people lose weight. But the uh, one of the hypnotic suggestions could be, I only eat when I'm actually hungry. And that alone right there, if people who wanted to lose weight, especially emotional eaters is who we're talking about here. Most people, you know, emotional eaters aren't eating because they're hungry. They're eating because they're happy. They're eating because they're stressed. It's usually boredom and stress. And so a suggestion like I only eat when I'm actually hungry, when that is accepted at the root level of who this person is, their appetite shifts. Interesting. Yeah. So they're really internalizing that message and you're absolutely right I mean I know and I've, I've talked about this with people as well these habits that we build up over a lifetime that you know whether mm -hmm. it's emotional eating whether it's I know that I eat when I'm cold <laughs> I know that when I'm yeah, cold I start wondering about which is probably you know there's probably an important driver behind that but it's not always helpful well, it is. Your body has to regulate your body temperature, right? So when we're cold, the body thinks that you might need more food. So you're right. I mean, I have a cup of tea with me at almost all times to make sure I'm not heading to the kitchen because I'm cold. But yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, just helping to create that awareness, the thoughts then about other ways of behaving or other ways of acting to perhaps break some of those habits. And then that's internalized, I guess. It's, it almost becomes part of you know, those identity statements about who I am and, and how I operate in the world. Right. And the neat thing, you know, I can tell you a quick story just to really mm. kind of help share how this plays out in real life. So I had a client who wanted, she probably, I think it was like 70 or 80 pounds, but she emailed me and uh, I read her email and she told me she went to the grocery store. So she goes to the grocery store, but it wasn't until she got home. She got home and started unloading her groceries that she realized she didn't even go down the chip aisle. Now, what was so remarkable to her, because she loved Cheetos, and that was really her problem. She kind of had like a little addiction to Cheetos, and that would kick off all sorts of other things, and she thought about her Cheetos all the time and that type of thing, right? What was so remarkable to her was that she didn't even think about going down the chip aisle. It wasn't that she went to the grocery store and was standing there like, no, I shouldn't buy them, but I want them. I shouldn't buy them. I wouldn't, you know? That didn't even occur to her. She just went to the grocery store just like she normally would and just shopped and then didn't buy them. That's what we're looking for because we, we want it to be automatic. And when we help make those changes at the root level of who people are, they're making decisions that are in their benefit without really necessarily having to think about them. And not having to have that internal battle that so often when we want to change right. behavior, it becomes about, and you know, what we focus on grows. So the more I think about what I shouldn't be doing, the more it just entirely preoccupies my mind and harder that battle is. Right. Yeah. And that's why deprivation doesn't work with dieting mm. for the mm. long term. Deprivation doesn't work because we do want things. And, and so, you know, for my clients, I always want them to eat when they're hungry always. And they get themselves into a really good habit of only, you know, not because of the clock, right? Which is mm -hmm. a lot of times what we're taught, not, not because breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but they're eating because they're actually hungry. And so it changes everything. They're not looking for food. They're waiting till they feel a sensation and then they eat. So there's a completely different driver there. And, you know, one of the best responses I get from my weight loss clients is I just don't think about food anymore. Yeah. It gives them so much free space. So just changing that that thought patterning kind of thing that drives so much of what we do. Well, because so many people, they think about food all day long is what happens, right? So they'll eat a meal and then 
this comes from, I ask a lot of my clients, you know, what, you know, what are you looking forward to today? And one of the things they look forward to with my weight loss clients, the only thing they report is they look forward to eating because that's the only time where they're not being judged, stressed or whatever. So if somebody is looking forward to food all day long, they're going to think about it all day long. Right. Yeah. So now if you're not thinking about it and you're doing other things, it, it is just such a load off and people are doing new habits. They're doing pottery and painting. They, it feels like they have a new life again. Just goes to show how complex our relationship with food is, isn't it? Yeah. We have to eat every day. It's different than stopping smoking or stopping alcohol because those yeah. things were just stopping. But something we're, like food we're managing. So yeah, it's a lot harder. So Erica, what's this kind of six, I know this is not a quantifiable thing necessarily, but what's the success rate with this? How are, are people more amenable to the hypnotic suggestion to the process and therefore the results than others or does it not really matter? Oh, for sure. I mean, there's some people who are kind of gifted hypnotically. There are some folks who are totally into professional development, right? I mean, they'll read every professional development book. They kind of know lots of things. So this type of person comes in hypnosis. They've been meditating for years and they know that hypnosis isn't mind control. Like they have a lot of experience, you know, so that type of person. Yeah. I mean, they're personal development guru. They, they're skilled at it. Um, there are other folks who are super anxious. It's kind of the opposite. They're so anxious that they can't sit still, right? They'll come into the office or I'll see them online because we're doing Zoom sessions now and they can't really sit still. It's They really have been training their brain for that anxiety, right? So one of the first things to do with those clients is teach them anti-anxiety techniques to calm down, then they feel better. And that begs an interesting question. You mentioned Zoom sessions. This is still something that can mm -hmm. be done over Zoom. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been working with clients over Zoom since 2016 when my book was published. So I have a lot of experience. It's nothing brand new, but I started noticing, first of all, the convenience of people not needing to fly in to see me was paramount for them. And as long as, so we, we do need a couple things for the Zoom session to go well. We really need our clients to be in a protected environment where they're not going to be interrupted. So that was one of the challenges with COVID because a lot of people are working from home. They don't have a home office anymore, right? Mm -hmm. They're like sleeping in their home office and that type of a thing. So yeah, a good internet connection, usually headphones, a good microphone and, and a laptop. Not usually, we don't want them to join with a mobile or, or iPad. It causes problems. Yeah. So as long as you've got as replicable a uh, situation in terms of visual audio environments, mm -hmm as you might have if you were sitting one-to-one -one with somebody, the actual technology. I mean, I know I've certainly found this and probably lots of people have found this now that we've got a bit more used to doing these things, even meetings online as a result of COVID, that we stop noticing the technology after a while. Yeah. It's just become invisible to us. Yeah, we're getting used to mm. it. The other thing I do is I give my clients the relaxation recording, a hypnotic relaxation recording, and I ask them to listen to it every day until we start our sessions, which it's not required, but it certainly helps. And the yeah. reason is because the mind gets accustomed to my voice. It's kind of like, you know, our kids want the same bedtime story every single night. It becomes familiar. It's safe. It's comfortable. And so I have my clients listen to my voice and the relaxation recording as they fall asleep at night, such that by the time I see them in hypnosis, you know, the brain's like, like, oh, I know this person. This this is, you know, she helps me fall asleep. You know, all of those kind of good feelings that go with that. And so then the Zoom sessions go even easier. Mm, yeah, that does make sense. I think, you know, that priming, mm -hmm. the connection, that therapeutic relationship, particularly given that voice is a big part of this, I'm guessing, that's quite a clever way to do that, actually. 
Yeah, <laughs> I thought so too at the time. <laughs> and it's a very generic recording. So it's because, you know, we help people with all sorts of things. So it's not specific to weight loss or smoking or confidence or anything. It truly is relax. <laughs> mm. Mm. It really helps people to just do nothing or what I like to say, no thing, nothing in particular. Nothing, yeah. You're just kind of floating, right? Yeah. You're just existing in the present moment. Answer yeah. the body wants. So Erica, you mentioned then, I mean, we've talked a little bit about weight loss and you've mentioned things like smoking and alcohol cessation, which I know are probably some of the more commonly understood reasons why somebody would seek hypnotherapy. What are some of the others? You, you talked about confidence then. What is it at that kind of performance end of the spectrum? If you've got somebody who, and again, you know, we're talking, I'm assuming, largely people who have no kind of clinical diagnosis or not struggling at a clinical end in terms of mental health. Correct. Yeah. So what are some of the other performance end of the spectrum goals that people might seek the assistance of hypnosis with? Well, I've helped a lot of CEOs and business owners really be good leaders. So a lot of them, you know, they are excellent at what they do, right? They've gotten their business into a place where they're really, really good at what they do. And it's almost time to maybe take a step up or they're giving more and more talks in front of their team and they're nervous. So public speaking is definitely part of it. I've helped a lot of people with their public speaking, a lot of authors and business owners um, with public speaking, right? Feeling good standing up and, and talking in front of people. Some of the other things that I help people with are behaviorals, right? So there are things like hair pulling or nail biting, that type of a thing. But the number one, I would say, other thing that I help people with or hypnotists help people with in general would be a combination of stress and sleep. Because you know, people are so stressed. And when they're really super stressed, they're not thinking clearly, they make mistakes at work, they get extra upset. So normally, they're presenting to us because something just happened. Oh, man, I was so stressed last week, I yelled at my daughter. And now we're not talking, I have to fix this, right? It's usually not that they're coming to us just because they're stressed. It's because they're stressed. And oops, <laughs> something happened. It's reached a critical moment. Exactly. So my personal, you know, I love helping people with high performance. So I love helping business owners, authors, business owners, and coaches achieve like self-actualization. So it's like, okay, here you are now. How can you be fully actualized? What is it about you that would really make you be a complete and full human, right? So I love doing that type of work. And that type of work usually is with business owners. And there's usually a spiritual component that goes along with that. But that, again, it's all about who are you? Get rid of the things that are not your own. Be in full alignment with source or whoever, whatever you believe so that you can show up fully for your business, for your employees and for the world. Yeah, which perfectly aligns again with what we might do as coaches and certainly coaching psychologists is kind of mm -hmm. using the toolkits that we have. And in your case, you've got this additional toolkit of the hypnosis to be able to help right. people to essentially become their best selves, you know, unleash what potential, I would call it that, <laughs> but also step away from the things that hold us back. So the uncertainty, the fears, mm -hmm. the anxieties. And I love that point about stress and sleep because, you know, we know how fundamental sleep is in particular to being able to be our best yeah. selves. And yet it's one of those things that we so often don't prioritize or we let get in the way. I mean, you talked a bit about relaxation and relaxation state. If I was coming to you mm -hmm. with a goal of getting better sleep, what are some of the things that mm -hmm. you might address with me? 
Well, I'd ask you if you were watching television or the news, because that's one of the biggest stressors. So I'd have you do a news fast, first of all. I'd ask you about your bedtime routine as well, because a lot of folks that I work with, what tends to happen is they are stressed and they're successful, right? They're really successful. They have jobs and families. They're managing a lot of stuff. And then come, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, the kids are in bed, maybe spouses in bed, employees aren't asking anything of them. It's kind of like my time, right? So it's like from this end of day when nobody's bothering them. Nobody wants to go to sleep. It's like the most peaceful, delicious, glorious part of the day. Who wants to sleep? I'm sitting here and I could do whatever I want. Nobody's asking me anything of me. So we have to watch for that because that is valid. It's totally valid. You know, I'm not going to tell my client to go to sleep at the only time of day that they've had a pure present moment to themselves. That's completely valid. So what we would do then is we were going to look out throughout the rest of the day. I don't want my clients waiting until the end of the day to have their time of day. We need to do much better self-care. I mean, the whole, we, we totally need to rethink how we live, right, yeah. um, to a large degree. But I would want you to be able to not get yourself stressed out. I want you to leave work with like maybe 70%. Maybe you put 70% into your job, not 100%. That's what most people do. They come home with zero energy. So that when you get home, now you have time to cook dinner, go on a walk, go surfing, go kite, whatever you want to do, right? You have time to do that. So you feel like I had a day. I had a real day. And then when it comes time to nighttime, maybe you read for an hour, but yeah, you feel content with your day and you can go to sleep. Mm, so it's really taking that whole of life approach is that it's not just a quick fix for a certain issue, the silver bullet that we all look for sometimes. There might be. There might be habitual things and there might be some elements that are just really, really quick fixes. But I'm looking for things that are sustaining and really kind of challenging how people are living their life, which is like, look, do you really need to do that, right? Is that really required so that people are really making better choices in their life, period? So I, mm. yeah, I want to analyze everything. Mm, very interesting. And I think I read somewhere that you also do a bit of work with athletes, elite athletes. So again, at that end of the... Mm -hmm performance spectrum? What are the sorts of issues you're dealing with in that regard? Yeah, I haven't worked with that in, in quite some time, quite frankly, but it's still, it's really about performance. And it's about that moment when, you know, the gun goes off and it's the ability to show up and perform right in that moment and not be afraid. Uh, sometimes there are injuries that athletes are overcoming. I, I worked with athletes before who aren't professionally active anymore. And that can be depressing for a lot of athletes. Mm. I mean, if you can imagine doing something that you absolutely love and you're top in the world or top in your area and now you're not performing or now you're not even participating anymore. And so there's a little bit of grief and there's some other elements that go along with that. But as far as the professional athletes, that type of thing, it, it all has to do with the mental game, all of it. Mm. Mm. And this is probably a bit of a how long is a piece of string question, but how many sessions typically might it take somebody with the assistance of hypnosis to attain their goal or at least make them feel like they're making substantial progress towards their goal? Yeah, I'd say on average, we see clients for five sessions. Now, clients can feel better in a single session. They really can. We can give our client great insight. They can feel really good. But what I love to teach and want to share with everybody is we really want to do complete solutions. And so especially with where hypnosis is in the profession right now, if you just do a single session with a client and it gives them a little bit of help, but it doesn't solve their problem, a lot of people will say, oh, well, hypnosis was nice for a day, but it didn't actually work. And so the 
the important thing, right, is we've got to integrate these changes back into our client's life. You probably know from your practice too, our clients start to change, spouses, kids, other people, sometimes they're supportive, sometimes they're not. And sometimes the changes that our clients want to make or have made internally aren't as easy to implement in their external life as far as, oh, I'm going to change my job, I'm going to get a new whatever, right? So we want to help them through that entire process so that they're actually realizing the results that they came in for. So it's usually five sessions. Yeah. Okay. So we'd call it a brief solution focused intervention, I guess, having that goal orientation. And it's, we're not talking the old fashioned approach to therapy, which might've been, and, and probably still in some cases, months and months or years and years. It's a relatively quick process that covers both the goal and then the integration of the new behavior into their everyday life. Right. And, you know, like for something like weight loss, of course, clients learn everything and they shift their relationship with food and they're eating differently, but they haven't lost all the weight in six weeks or five weeks. So some clients I continue working with, if they like the additional support, I don't see them as often. And other ones, they have what they need and they can do it on their own. But Mm. yeah, so I mean, with some clients, yeah, we keep working together sometimes if there's other things um, that they want to keep working on. Mm. And are there any risks associated with hypnosis? Um, no, there's no risk. There's no risk of things that people worry about mind control. That's not true. Saying something, you know, like a truth serum type thing. That's not true. It's basically just anything that you can think, right? So how dangerous is thinking? So it's just as dangerous as thinking normally would be, I would suppose. Mm. (laughs) There's no real risks. Yeah. Okay. I think that were probably the questions that do come into it, but because of that original, though obviously because they've listened to you now talking about it for this period, they know, you know, have right. far greater insight into how it works and what's involved. So, Erica, for anybody who is perhaps interested, and and you are based in the states, so obviously, uh, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of our listeners will be here in Australia. If somebody was interested in hypnosis or hypnotherapy to help them either mm-hmm. address a challenge that they're facing or achieve a goal that they're looking to pursue, where would they start to look? How would they know who to rely on or who's credible? Right. Who's credible? Well, I mean, first of all, any of your listeners can email me because I have a lot of awesome colleagues in your area. Lots of them, actually. There's a ton down there if you wanted to work with somebody remotely. Um, What I like to do is just research the person online and look at the reviews and just see like who the person's worked with and, and their philosophy. That's what I usually like to look at, just do a little bit of research. And then most hypnotists, because of the nature and the sensitivity of what we do, most hypnotists will offer a consultation so that you could talk to the hypnotist, share what's going on and see if it's a good fit for you. So I recommend doing that. Anybody who promises single session cure or something kind of fantastic like that, eh, I don't I don't care for that type of thing. It's more marketing than service. And so I tend to to not recommend folks who market themselves like that. Hmm. Erica, that's just been fascinating. I've I've learned so much and I We'll make sure that we put the links to your website, your books, so that people can make contact and follow up with any of those if those things... I'm guessing, and I know the time zones don't work all that well, but if there are people based in Australia or our region who are keen perhaps to work with you, is that something now that we have Zoom that that would be doable? Absolutely. Yeah. I do work with people around the world and I, I, you know, we could work out a time zone thing, but yeah, it, it works really well. So I'm open to that. 
<laughs> the wonders of technology. Right. Erica, thanks again. I really do appreciate your time today, your insights. As I said, I've, I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot about hypnosis, how it works, but also the benefits of it for everyday life, really. You know, you've inspired me to even think about how could I use it in my life, Yeah, you know, just in terms of the idea of being able to get to that relaxed state and perhaps just work through a few things that are mind clutter right? in a way that makes it a bit more accessible and less of an internal battle uh, is very appealing. So thank you again. Very good. We appreciate your time. People can find you via the show notes and best of luck. So what do you think? Are you keen to give hypnosis or hypnotherapy a go now? Or maybe it's something you've already tried. I'm actually more intrigued now than I was before. What a great adjunct to traditional therapy and the overlap between hypnotherapy and mindfulness is kind of fascinating, isn't it? If you're keen to find out more about Erica, her work, her writing, or maybe book an online appointment with her, you can do all of that via our show notes, either in your podcast player or at potential.com.au. We've also included links to her social media accounts and her books. And you can also find out more about Erica via Kitcaster. Kitcaster is a podcast agency that books experts on podcasts. And they make contact with me and the PP team to explore whether we'd be interested in having a chat to Erica, which indeed we were. And the magic happened from there. It's really quite fun and fascinating to see and be involved in the growth and evolution of podcasting from the inside. So much has changed since we started three years ago. Okay, so what else is news as we wind up this episode? Well, we have been working hard behind the scenes on some coaching opportunities for those of you who are perhaps new to leadership and managing people and teams. If that's you, you are my most favorite client to work with. I am working with some delightful new leaders at the moment and we're exploring confidence and boundaries and how to have difficult conversations and giving feedback and work-life balance and avoiding burnout and all of the challenges that come with the steep learning curve of a new leadership role and the sometimes tricky nature of managing yourself and other people at work. If that's you too, and you'd like a little bit of extra support in that role, sounding board outside of your organisation and plenty of People Leadership 101 tips and strategies born of my 20 years now working as a workplace psychologist and leadership coach, pop on over to potential.com.au and check out the online coaching page. We've set it up so that you can book a coaching session with me directly through the page, paid for either by you as an individual or your employer. I'd love to see you pop up in my calendar. I'm very much looking forward to working with you. So that's the show for today, episode 95. We're taking a short break for Easter and the school holidays, but we'll be back in a few weeks with another great guest and plenty of insight and ideas for fulfilling your potential. We'll see you then. 